Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy, which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. The healthcare system is hard enough to navigate without having chronic illness diagnoses to boot. Feeling all at sea and looking for direction, advice, and deeper understanding? From a medical specialty glossary to tips on talking to your health insurance providers, download your free copy of Hacking Healthcare at uninvisiblepod.com. A quick note for you all tuning into this wonderful episode with Faith Ashenden of That Healing Feeling. When we recorded this episode last year, Faith was pregnant with a baby, Leo, who has since been born. So if you want to learn more about how she has reduced toxins in her day-to-day, both throughout her pregnancy and now as a busy working mom, you can check out her Instagram feed at That Healing Feeling to learn more. In addition, a small trigger warning here toward the tail end of this episode, we also discussed a little bit about drinking wine. So if that is a sensitive topic, you might want to just avoid the last five minutes or so of the episode. In any case, enjoy. And thanks so much for tuning in. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Faith Ashenden of That Healing Feeling. She lives with numerous chronic illnesses, including addiction and thyroid disease. Faith, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to have you on. We've been trying to make this happen for a minute, and we finally did it. <laughs> I know. Life has I, been hectic lately. <laughs> it definitely has for both of us at various times, so it's. I'm just glad to be able to sit down with you today and properly chat. Me too. Yeah. So why don't we start from the very beginning? You you deal with you know, a number of different chronic illness concerns, so can you talk us through what you are living with, how you've begun to manage everything, and when you realized something was going down? Yeah. So um, the the biggest thing is Graves' disease, which is a thyroid autoimmune disease, um, which causes hyperthyroidism. So which, it's for people who don't know, it's like the opposite of what I have. Yeah. I was going to say it's like the opposite of Hashimoto's, which people usually seem to be more familiar with, mm-hmm. with the hypothyroid. So hyper is just really the opposite symptoms. So really like rapid heart rate, a lot of adrenaline, hair loss, really hot because you have so much adrenaline, you typically lose weight, um, like lose your period, all of that stuff. And you're really hungry because you're burning fat really, really quickly. And so you just go into starvation mode. So you kind of see a lot of the, the opposite symptoms of what people are familiar with, with hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's. Um, so I was diagnosed with that in 2012, although I think that I was living with it pretty severely for at least two years and the year running up to it was the most severe year, but for multiple reasons, it took people a really long time to diagnose, which, Hmm. um, in retrospect is very surprising to me, 
but so well, we're, we're going to dig into that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's the case with many people. So this story is not unique. Um, so I did a radioactive iodine treatment, which basically the thyroid is the only organ that can absorb radioactive iodine. So you swallow a pill that is full of radioactive iodine and your thyroid absorbs it and it dies. Hmm. And the other options were surgery. Well, that was the only other option they gave me. Um, more recently, as I've gone down a more holistic path, I realized that there could have been other options, but I was given two weeks to decide which one I wanted to do. So I just was in college and I thought, well, I think that taking a pill would be easier than surgery because I want to go back to school. And well, far less more- invasive too. Yeah, exactly. Um, which also- I guess it's the question of whether or not you want to like expose yourself to radioactive materials or not, right? I mean, you think about Chernobyl, that was radio, you know, that was radioactive iodine in a very large amount, but um, if you if you read about it in school or you happen to watch the HBO series, you hear people talk about the concerns with the thyroid, of course, because the thyroid is absorbing that. So to think that you're putting that in your body voluntarily is kind of interesting. But I I did do that, and so I took a year off school, and because um, it was just it made me really sick. Mm. And then um, once my thyroid died and I plummeted into hypothyroid, um, (laughs) I was able to take um, synthetic thyroid hormones. And then up until I would say about a year and a half ago, I never really got back to my baseline until I really just dug deeper as I got older and I was more informed and just generally more educated. And I had more resources at my disposal. I was able to kind of get to the root cause of why I wasn't feeling very well with that. So it was pretty poorly managed. So that's my, and it's a long story long. That's the, the biggest overarching um, thing. And I think okay. throughout that time, my just immune system has been really compromised. And so um, I flared up again a year ago and I had issues like a lot of gut issues, um, candida and SIBO, small intestinal mm-hmm. bacterial overgrowth, which um I'm just not alone with the gut issues that so many people have, unfortunately. Um, And then just some Epstein's-Barr virus, which is like chronic mono. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm actually better now, but Mm. it took me about a year to kind of holistically take my life back. Um, Yeah. So that's where I'm at now. Yeah. And one of the things that you've been very open about talking about over social media and that you and I have discussed is that you've also dealt with addiction. Yeah, I took Adderall for, I think I started at age six, no, 18 in college. Was it prescribed for ADHD? Well, I was never, di- and what's interesting is I'm probably the least ADD, whatever ADD, you know, because people kind of, it's controversial the way it's defined, but as right. it's regular definition, I am the least ADD person. I'm so zoned in and focused. Um, and so I don't really know what it was prescribed for if I'm honest, because I don't show any of those signs. Mm. Um, but I, a lot of college students, especially in my generation, our generation, you know, were given Adderall for just, for just nothing, basically just to study. So I was giving that, um, freshman year of college. And of course I was like, this is amazing. I can have like photographic memory and it's going to make your life easier when it comes to studying. Yeah. Um, So I took that all through college. And then, um, after college I was in a startup and I was working really hard. So I was like, I'm not going to stop yet because I don't have to. 
Um, and it helped me work long hours and get promotions. And then I think it was about like two years ago, I finally stopped taking it. Um, again, moving into this more like educated position of being informed and taking my health into my own hands. Um, and I think that also comes with age because you're not 21 anymore and you, you can't just get away with putting trash in your body and waking up and feeling good. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I need to take control of my life and my health. <laughs> yeah. Well, in a way, our bodies send us signals and, and know better than our, our subconscious does, right? You know, of course, yeah. so it's allowed you to, to find healing for yourself and to wean yourself off of the drugs, right? Yeah. I, um, I, I think that the Adderall was kind of masking the fact that I didn't have enough thyroid hormone, so I wasn't feeling very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I took it all through the radioactive iodine treatment. They kept me on it, and it was really a stupid idea because my heart rate was already 181 per minute without it because I the Graves oh. disease. And so it was very dangerous, but they no one seems to be educated about the drug. So, I mean, you have these really, quote unquote, like, you know, educated and intelligent practitioners that I'm working with. And every single one of them says stay on the drug. And I love that they're saying that because I'm in college and I want to keep studying and making good grades. Um, so yeah, I, I loved Adderall for the sake that I'm very type A. So I really want to be an overachiever. I'm a perfectionist and blah, blah, blah. And so it really played into that and only that. (laughs) And that was the only way it was advantageous. Um, but it was masking the fact that I wasn't really healthy without it. Um, and my baseline was already so low and, um, needed to like kind of remove it and get to the bottom of why I don't feel well, um, to get better naturally. It's really interesting to me that so many doctors encouraged you to stay on it, you know, throughout that entire ordeal. Like, I mean, I understand, you know, at, at bottom it's, that they were addressing your energy reserves, right? So that you wouldn't dip, I guess. But knowing that you'd been on it for so long and had developed what is essentially an addiction because you had to wean yourself off as if you were in withdrawal, right? Yeah, I took the approach of weaning off versus stopping cold turkey because Mm. I just felt like it would be easier, I Mm. guess, (laughs) personally. Not that either is easy, but yeah. Right, right. But I just... In my like experience, I mean, I studied like neurobiology and stuff. I was thinking, well, it'll probably just be like easier on the body and in the mind and everything to just wean. So I just did like every two weeks, I just like did five milligrams less. And honestly, it was so fine. Like I, mm. I acclimated so quickly. I felt it, but it, it's the week where you stop taking it really where you feel the difference. But, um, I have never wanted to take it again since I stopped. Like people say, oh, are you tempted? And it's like 0%. Like Mm. I have Adderall everywhere still, like in my purse, in bags, because I had so much of it. And I'm never like, ooh, I'm just thinking about this pill in my purse. I've had a million people try to prescribe it to me since, you know, since then. It's really weird. I like stopped and I was like, I really don't like the way that felt all of a sudden Mm. now that I feel good. So it was a really different story than most people. Most people still struggle with like the temptation towards it mm-hmm. versus me who was just almost happier and happier every week that I stopped taking it. So I don't really know what went on there, but I'm really grateful for the experience that I had. Yeah. A bit like that. I mean, it was hard. I was tired, but beyond that, I was grateful and I felt better. Yeah. At what point also were you on it where you said to yourself, like, this is an addiction problem and I need to change this? Well, it was mostly that I just couldn't feel good without it. Mm. And I felt like that. So you were dependent. Yeah, I was dependent on it to do things like go to work or Mm. 
go out, you know, cause like my energy was so low. If I went a day without it, I like felt like I couldn't get out of bed. So I was like, either something is really, really wrong with me or like, I just completely need this drug. I'm like, and it is that something was really wrong with me and mm-hmm. I wasn't able to feel it out because I was masking this exhaustion sure. with Adderall, running on Adderall fumes versus like natural energy. Yeah. And it's like, very it different. Bad. It's very different as well from like replacing thyroid hormone, which like you're going to need to continue to do for the rest of your life yeah. when you don't have a thyroid anymore, of you know, of course. Yeah. very interesting. So right now, are you on thyroid hormone? I mean, we know you're on Adderall. So you're still on the synthetic thyroid hormone, yeah. I have to take a thyroid hormone because my thyroid now doesn't really do anything. Doesn't exist, yeah. yeah. So if I didn't have thyroid hormone, I would just continue to plummet into hypothyroid until I was like, the mo- you know, whatever, just continue to plummet. Yeah. So um, it's very important that I, and I would take a very high dosage compared to someone with like Hashimoto's because at least, you know, they would have a thyroid function of some thyroid function. Right. I, I take a mixture of synthetic and natural. Unfortunately, I can't just take the natural because because I don't have a thyroid function, it's not strong enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have spent a lot of time playing around with it and was able to at least get it incorporated into my protocol, which was helpful. Yeah, that's great. So while you were going through these this journey with you know, addiction to Adderall with trying to figure out what was going on with your health with the Graves disease. Did you find that you needed a personal advocate at any point in the journey to get it better? Honestly, I became my own personal advocate about two years ago. Before that, I think like in society, the perception of not feeling well or whatever is very much like you're weak. And so you just push through and you push harder. So I didn't want to not be able to do the things that everyone else my age was doing. And so I was still taking my Adderall and going to a, a UT, UT Austin. I don't know whoever listens to this knows that school, um, but it's, a, you know, it's a, a fairly difficult um, university. And on top of that, working out and on top of that, doing internships and blah, blah, blah. And, and going out with my friends, you know, and I wanted to do everything. So I just kind of ignored my symptoms. And part of that also was that I was younger. And yeah. I, again, like, I think you are a lot more resilient when you're younger um, until, and it wasn't until I decided to stop taking the Adderall that it was like not possible for me to do any of those things anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay. Do you think some of that's also tied into like that culture of like crashing around college students and and grad students, you know, that like you pull all nighters, you party all night and then you work all day. And, you know, like there's almost like this, not even just that it's accepted, but that that kind of behavior is encouraged. I know it's, I mean, it's really dangerous. Mm. It's hard to have balance in college and I think it's okay to not be so balanced because you're young and it's fun, but it gets a little bit extreme. So yeah. Um, yeah, so I, d- I didn't advocate or listen. I just kind of suppressed any of my symptoms prior to about a couple years ago. I think that's I- probably quite common. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah. when young because yeah. they're going to be at the forefront of their mind. Or right, and body. you might be able to push through. And like for yeah. someone like you, if you're on the Adderall, you can. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Until you, until you want to just get it right, which is going to require sacrifice. So yeah. that's not... Oh, I just wasn't really in a position to do that in college. I didn't want to leave school, you know, or fall behind or anything like that. Of course not. Of course not. So you learned to advocate for yourself, but you were mentioning that it took a couple of years to actually even get the Graves disease diagnosis. So how did that shake out? 
it took a long time to get the Graves diagnosis. And that was in college Hmm. because it's really hard with Graves disease because the main symptoms are really the, the surge of adrenaline, if you will. How do you pinpoint, well, I always feel a little anxious and I'm just a little sweaty and like shaky and like people are like that's anxiety you know yeah. take a but and it's really hard to pinpoint well my heart's racing well yeah it's the same exact thing as anxiety which of course has a root cause of some sort and in this scenario was grape disease but so it was hard for me so they would test things like oh you're vitamin deficient let's give you b12 injections every day okay that's not helping oh this that and the other um, a lot of times like take a multivitamin or take these prescriptions, which I didn't want to take um, except for the Adderall. Mm-hmm. And then finally I went to my cardiologist because I have high cholesterol genetically and my, I have a mutation that causes that. And my cardiologist was like, your cholesterol is so low. That's impossible. Like it could never be that low. And then she was like, unless you have Graves disease because you're burning fat at such a high rate and you're, you're in this like weird survival mode. She was like, let me check your heart rate. She's like, yeah, I'm sure you have Graves disease. So it was actually her who figured it out <laughs> of all things. Yeah. And she's not even an endocrinologist. I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. But it's all linked. So yeah. it, take, it takes someone who really is willing to look at the whole picture um, when it comes to some sort of chronic symptom. So she mm-hmm. happened to have known me my whole life and would know that, you know, it would be impossible for my cholesterol to be that low. Um, yeah. But why it took so long is beyond me because I was a walking billboard. Like if you sat in a class for an endocrinology class and you studied Graves' disease, you would put me at the front of the class and just say, look at her symptoms. This is what Graves' disease is. It's so obvious. I hit every single check mark. So yeah. why they didn't know for a year, I don't know. <laughs> Do you think it's like a combination of like undereducation or, or miseducation, something about the way in which doctors are being trained that they're missing kind of obvious things and very common illnesses like Graves disease that are in front of them. And also the fact that you were a woman and they were like, take a Xanax. You're just, you just have anxiety. Like, you know, here have a vitamin infusion. Like they kind of brushed it off. I think that the majority of practitioners I've seen up until more recently where I've chosen very specifically, you know, the doctors I see now are typically the approach they take is symptom band-aid or like pharmaceutical, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so even though to me, Graves' disease is like, I wouldn't even consider that like an in-depth root cause. Like I would say what caused the Graves' disease, Mm -hmm. but even, but in a sense, it, it is the root cause of the symptoms. Like even with something like that obvious, I just think that it's easier to say like take a Xanax or take a vitamin drip. I think that's number one reason Mm -hmm. because that's how it's been my whole life. And I even have, um, I had a a kid in med school message me the other day saying like, I follow your profile because I find it really interesting from the patient perspective. But just FYI, like we're not tested on any of these like root cause approaches that you preach about, which I know because I... I'm related to the doctors and I have a lot of friends who went to med school and they're now doctors and I get that that's the case and that's the problem. Mm. So that's why I talk about it because I think it's important that we do advocate for that. But um, yeah, I think the number one reason why is because it's symptom band-aid approach. And then mm. in terms of me being a woman and, you know, like historically women tend to be taken less seriously. I've never personally felt victimized by that. Um, I think that probably being a young college student could have been a reason why, because of course, like I was less educated and less informed than I am now. Um, yeah. And it probably came across that way. 
Um, but I think that probably played into it. But I, I think the biggest reason that lies front and center of these misdiagnoses is the symptom band-aid approach that too many of us have experienced for too long. Yeah. So our system's really designed to put a band-aid on something rather than prevent the thing from happening in the first place. Prevent it or try to understand what caused it and reverse mm. through things like lifestyle changes. Mm. Um, and of course, like the food you're eating, the, the products you're using, the air you're breathing, the water you're drinking, your mental health and everything that really comes together mm. as it does in your body to cause these symptoms, which are warning signs of something, you know, being imbalanced really. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you've obviously moved more into a holistic approach with things and you're, you're utilizing elements of Western medicine and elements of integrative medicine, if you will, in yeah. your approach to wellness now. So I'm wondering how you're balancing work and life, what a typical day sort of looks like for you now as you manage the symptoms of your chronic illness and as you manage those symptoms and, you know, your wellness lifestyle plan, if you will, around being pregnant now as you're adjusting. (laughs) That one's been kind of interesting because I'm still sort of new to it. And it's also kind of shaken because it's shaken up my world because it's been harder than I thought it would be, but harder, but normal because it is hard. Well, and there's um, a payoff at the end. That's the and idea. <laughs> and you know why you're doing it. It's different than being mm-hmm. sick. Where you're like, oh, you're like, okay, I'm doing this for a baby. So obviously it's exciting, but very nauseating. Uh, <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Um, no. So, I mean, in general, my life had to switch a lot. I think I came to this realization initially when I sort of got into this world of like, you know, you can change your lifestyle and heal. And that's not to say that everyone out there with every type of chronic symptom or condition can heal completely. No, but you can improve. Well, you can't heal from not having a thyroid that functions. Like right, exactly. But you can for improve example. your quality of life mm. by making lifestyle changes. How much you can improve that depends on where you are now, but it's, it's not going to hurt you to make those changes. So why not try? Um, and so that's the approach I took little by little. And it was hard at first because it was like, I'm going to have to completely switch up my diet and learn how to make, and it takes time. It takes so much freaking time. And so I'm like here almost an entire day. It takes for me to go to the store, buy, plan all these things, buy all these ingredients and then prep them. So now my diet can support my, my health. It limits the places I can go out to eat. Um, you know, all my cleaning products are different. The products I use, I had to try new products. Okay. So all that stuff had to change. That was a a shift and it's reprioritized. I mean, it's just reprioritizing everything in my life. So to where like I spend more time like researching and investing my money and time into these things. And I, I don't really like shop that much anymore. Um, and I have to do like more cleaning on my own because it's important to me to use the non-toxic products and stuff like that. All these, all these changes made such an impact on the way that I felt that it was a no brainer from the get go. It was like, wow, this really, and when, when you feel better, it's like, who cares that I can't go to that one restaurant? I'll just go to this one and feel good. Yeah. Um, So that, that was difficult at first, just making the decision and being like, Oh my God, I'm going to have to cut out cheese. Like this is my favorite food. What am I going to do? And it's, Um, well, it's hard because you have to sort of put your pride aside in a way, right? Like, or something that you previously identified yourself with, like being a cheese lover, right? You have to put that aside so that you can actually feel well. And I think also people aren't going to understand, like if you haven't had a chronic condition, you haven't had to make those sacrifices because why would you stop eating cheese if you feel great? Mm. So people around me are thinking, and now faith has become this like health nut, not necessarily in a judgmental way, but of course faith isn't going to be able to eat here. Of course she's bringing her bag of supplements and like 
organic bug spray or what, you know, she would make a thing about it. And you do kind of like become labeled as that person around people, your previous friend group, maybe who are still like your best friends and stuff. But, um, it is what it is. You do what you have to do. Um, so my life has shifted in the sense that I have to incorporate that and I spend a lot more time on those things <laughs> than sure. I used to. Um, I also quit my full-time job and, and I'm running my own business, which kind of came to like a little bit of a halt when I got pregnant because I got so incredibly sick for two months. I was just like bedridden. I had no idea it was going to be so bad. Um, and the doctor said it was completely normal. I just wasn't expecting it. So that was really hard because my cravings were very particular. And like, if I, like if someone showed me a vegetable, I would be sick. So I physically couldn't eat the food that, mm. that I know is good for me. And I had to eat things like saltines every two hours or like a piece of bread. And honestly, I just was like, it's not really about me right now. It's about the baby. So probably my candida is going to come back and yes, I'm bloating, but like, it's better than projectile vomiting all day. So So you'll worry about healing after you have the baby. But is that something that could potentially also affect the baby in utero? Like the baby could be born with candida? No. Okay. It's, it's, it's normal to, um, have like cravings and stuff. All these just very specific, like white bland foods. And I talked Mm -hmm. to my doctors, they're like, you eat what you can eat in the first three months. But the other thing is your immune response is lowered when you're pregnant. So you don't reject the baby. So any like food sensitivities and those things kind of go away to some degree. Um, so your body really refocuses all of its energy onto the baby, um, which is nice because you can tolerate a little bit, you know, other food, just the food that you need. Your body is really smart that way. So that's and have you, have you kept taking like your thyroid medications and stuff while you've been yeah. pregnant? That's oh, so that to. all stays the same. Yeah. Yeah. You have to take it because the baby can produce its own T3. So, if mm. you, don't, you know, so yeah, of course I, and I check my thyroid regularly, um, just to make sure I don't need to like, sometimes people will become a little hypothyroid when they're pregnant. So I just check mine regularly to make sure that, but so far so, so good. I mean, doctors don't love that I'm on the natural medication. Um, it's typically, is it NDT? that you're talking about? Uh, it's uh, armor thyroid. Okay. Yeah. So it's one of these, like, it's like a natural desiccated th- thyroid that you have to get from a compounding pharmacy. Um, I actually get it from CVS. No way. I know. Everyone's like, I can't believe you get it from CVS. I mean, yeah. they have it and it's there. Wow. Always. Yeah. I get it from CVS and they don't love it when you're pregnant, hmm. but it was one of my prior doctors who put me on it. Like, no, I couldn't get anyone to put me on it until I finally was able to find one of the practitioners I work with now and she was able to do it. And it was, it's difficult. It's difficult to, to like, especially when like, if you switch medications, you go hypo so quickly, it's difficult to take that risk. But luckily we did it obviously before I got pregnant and, um, it all leveled out. So yeah, I'm, I'm continuing to take that and I'll continue to to take that. Um, It's working for you. Bottom line. Yeah. I have to take it. So yeah, so far so good. Minus like all the nausea and this, <laughs> this right. and having to like change, change up the choices that you'd made about your lifestyle, particularly with regard to food, for example. Yeah. And supplements as well. Like I take mm. a lot of supplements and when you're pregnant, if you like put a pill on your tongue, it's going to make you gag. Mm. And so there, like I basically up until today, actually today is a very monumentous day for me because I've done a lot of firsts, but um, up until today, I only took like the pills I absolutely had to take. So like my thyroid and then my prenatal mm-hmm. and, um, like DHA and eat like fish oil, omegas. But, um, those were the only ones I took. And that was just for the baby's benefit. I, I didn't take anything for my benefit because I was like, it's going right. to make me sick. Right. 
So like I've taken the bare minimum, which is not ideal because I've worked really hard to like take all these supplements, which really contributed to my fertility and just to my overall well-being and balanced everything out. And I got pregnant and I was like, I physically can't take these, but I literally would just take what the baby needs to do. Right. So today might be the day that you start taking everything again. (laughs) Fine. Because supplements are a long game. So if I've been taking things for a year and a half or whatever, and I go like two and a half months, I'm okay. But it just goes to show like you really put your own needs aside and you do what you can (laughs) to survive. Welcome to Mothering 101. (laughs) Yeah. So I've heard. (laughs) Okay, guys, I want to talk about coaching. I recently connected with an awesome executive and life coach, and her name is Jenna Chieko. A graduate of Dr. Martha Beck's program with a background in psychology and law, she's a former tech general counsel and chief of staff who also worked for the Obama administration. Jenna inspires clients to step into their best lives by helping them access their inner strengths, clear the cobwebs holding them back, and cultivate a dream big growth mindset. She is also a life Sherpa for navigating change. You know who I know who has big dreams and is navigating massive changes now more than ever with coronavirus? We Spoonies. Jenna works virtually, and she's offering 10% off to new clients who enroll and mention code INVISIBLE. Her rates are reasonable, and she's dedicated to help us rise to the top. Go to jennachieco.com, that's G-E-N-A-C-H-I-E-C-O.com for more. Yeah. So, okay. We know that you've, you've gone through this process of like trying to get diagnosed and, and now you're like way on the other side of it. You're, you're well now and so well, in fact, that like you've been able to get pregnant. So things are going pretty damn great for you. I'm wondering about in the past when you were trying to get your diagnoses, when you had to explain to friends that like you couldn't show up to something because you were too exhausted because you were still trying to figure out what was going on with your health. Were you ever in a position when, where you had to justify to others what was going on with you or where you felt the pressure to explain to people who just didn't understand what was happening with you because they couldn't see it? That's the worst part about invisible illness. And chronic illness to me. And it's funny that you asked me that because I recently did a survey with my followers on Instagram and people said that the, the single worst part about chronic illness is the judgment. Mm-hmm. And it's horrible because chronic pain should be the worst, not treated, untreated chronic pain should be the worst part about chronic illness. But the fact that the judgment is worse says something about just the overall education in our society about invisible and chronic illness and this epidemic that we have and people's very minimal understanding of that. And, and also just a, a, an epidemic of like lack of empathy and compassion on a certain oh, level. Too. Oh yeah. But the thing is, and I hate to say it and it might sound controversial, but if you had cancer, every single oh, yeah. person would say, Oh my God. And like, you know, I got it all the time. We're like, it's not like you have cancer. And it's like, well, actually that's a really unfair statement, but because well, because these conditions can be just as life threatening if they're left untreated and too. Feel just as bad, and yeah. and you know, but at the same time, because people recognize and there is that education there, mm-hmm. people are empathetic. So for me, it's even yes, you can get that really like empathetic person who, even though they're not educated, they just are an empathetic person, and they're just like, oh my god, I feel for you. But overall, there's such a lack of education about chronic conditions and the epidemic that it is. And it's something that I experienced. Um, and it was really like a year and a half ago when I relapsed. So like my, my thyroid stopped converting my thyroid hormone. And um, I had all these other like flare ups that like with my gut and Epstein-Barr and stuff like that. So like and, comorbid condition flare ups. Yeah. And yeah. And no one could figure it out. 
And I was so sick. And like, every time I went to the doctor, they were like, nothing's wrong with you. Nothing's wrong with you. Everything's fine. Like in your head. I had like, Oh, so you had people tell you it was in your head. Fantastic. Oh, oh, so many, so many, so many times I couldn't even pinpoint and count on all my fingers and toes. And I, um, I had like, even when I went to the ER, I had their like, I guess psychiatrists come in and tell me that like, I was, um, you were crazy. I was crazy. Yeah. And like, because I had said that like what I was doing was like lifestyle changes and they were like, what you need to do is eat a piece of bread and drink a glass of wine and chill out. And so, yeah, what? that was their suggestion to you. Yeah. 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 That's Um, as bad as take a Xanax or an ibuprofen, I guess, man. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would kill for a glass of wine right now. <laughs> I miss it very much. But it, and it oftentimes is a great answer, but it was not yes. the answer to that. So, <laughs> so, yes, I was judged by practitioners. I was judged by um, people in my office. Not everyone, but, you know, there are people who are just like, basically, you're a liar because you post this picture of you on Instagram, but then you're saying that you're too unwell. And, like, you're just, yeah, so there's that. Like because you were able to soldier through because you have cojones. You have yeah. yeah, you have to. And then there were like, most of my friends were all really great, but there was just, again, like a lack of understanding from some people who were really close to me. Um, and that hurt the most. Luckily, my husband is like the single most supportive human in the entire world. And like, basically it was just like all the time, like, Oh, I can't even imagine what that's like. And he saw me being bedridden. So, you know, he's like up close and personal with it, but he never once like thought it was in my head or that I was like making more of it. Um, and same with my family, they're all like on board with this kind of like whole holistic, like root cause approach that I was gunning for versus like, just why don't you take the medication and you'll feel better. Take the Xanax, just try it, whatever. Again, nothing against that, but I just knew that there was more going on. And so it took me, probably like six or seven months. And I ended up having to leave my job even without a diagnosis. And I remember like crying on the phone to short-term disability because they wouldn't approve it because I didn't have a diagnosis. And I was like, but I'm bedridden. Like I'm so sick. I can't physically lift my head off the pillow just because I don't have a diagnosis. doesn't make it less real. And obviously they don't care. So I was really just disappointed. And, um, luckily I, um, have like a husband and I can get on his health insurance and he was happy for me to like leave my job. But most people, most people are not in that situation. And in America where you don't have, um, NHS or anything like that, you are really screwed when you have to leave your job and you're sick and then you lose your healthcare. Um, so that realization hit me really hard. Um, just for like all the other people who've been in this situation who weren't as fortunate as I was. Um, so it was, and you obviously sought out education and resources. Like you've empowered yourself with information, but how did you know to do that? Like that was just your default was like, okay, I'm going to start researching. Like, no, (laughs) (laughs) it was when doctors started to turn me away. Like I would physically have doctors be like, I can't help you. Like if you don't want to take this medication, then like you're going to have to go somewhere else. And I'd never experienced a doctor not having like an answer or not trying harder. And I just thought, what the heck? Like, how can I be so incredibly sick? And every single person is telling me that there's nothing wrong. So I started listening to podcasts and it was the first time, like I typed in like health or something on mm-hmm. podcast and I knew nothing about anything. And I mean, like, as in, I didn't even understand how I grew up eating healthy, but I never really understood nutrition. And I never understood for a second how a certain type of food could trigger some symptom. Like I had no association with lifestyle and 
beyond like when I work out, I feel good. And I knew to do that. Yeah. Or um, food as medicine, for example. Of course, of course. I had no understanding of this world. And so mm. I started listening to podcasts of people with chronic conditions who've taken um, a root cause approach, saw specific types of doctors who did specific types of tests that operated outside of health insurance that allowed them to fix things in their gut and in, in their body, but fix like actually heal versus suppress with a bandaid. And, um, and it would fix a host of symptoms and that was called root cause. And I started it's also to- known as like integrative or functional medicine, but it's interesting because you mentioned this is outside of the health insurance system. So this is something that's like not accessible to a lot of people. It's not, it's not. And I also, that was also something I didn't know. Mm. I ended up seeing functional medicine doctors and that's where my journey started to healing. And it was amazing the transformation that occurred. And it all started with the doctor saying, I believe you like, Mm. like this is like, I don't really care what like all this other blood work says, like this just means we haven't found the root cause yet. Let's keep digging. Let's, and you know, we kept digging and digging and digging and oh my God, like even with their tests, we still had to keep digging. Um, but we got there in the end and we, we made lifestyle changes. Like that was what we did to, to change and to heal. And all of a sudden I started to feel better. And I had people around me who were skeptical of the approach saying, um, you know, it's because when you're healing, it's a long game. So it's yeah. not like in three days, you should start to feel these symptoms go away. No, it's like in three months, you should start to feel this one very subtle thing, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so you really have to have faith in the process that truly what you put in and on your body um, is powerful. And people around me would say like, it's not working already. Like, I can't believe you're still doing something that isn't working. And like you could take this pill and go back to work. And I just, I think the worst part about the entire journey was the judgment from people Mm. and people doubting. And even to this day, like people, I swear, I think I'm not like my friends who are in this world or my husband or anything, but anyone else thinks I'm crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we don't, we believe you. So (laughs) we know because we're all in the club. (laughs) If you haven't been there, you don't understand why someone could, how could you feel better by not eating this or eating this, you know? And, and so you live with that judgment, but you, you become like way better for it because you just Mm -hmm. hold on to the things that you know to be true. And that demands a lot of respect. And so and strength you. Yeah. And strength or they don't and they're gone and that's fine. It's easier that way. So yeah, our journey. (laughs) Yeah. But obviously you've gotten okay with sort of like separating the wheat from the proverbial chaff, right? Like, and being like, okay, I'm fine with like not having that in my life if it's a negative influence. But I'm wondering, cause like, obviously you've had people say they didn't believe you and you've been brushed off. Like, do you think that if you were a woman of color, it might've been a different story. Like it might've taken even longer, you know, basically in terms of the way that you self-identify, can Mm. you see your circumstances being different if you presented otherwise to people? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I'm really privileged. Like Mm. I, first of all, I'm educated. I had a good job, which means I had tons of benefits. And so initially it was easier for me to access like doctor's appointments and things like that, because I didn't always have to be in the office. I wasn't hourly paid all of that. Um, when I saw practitioners, yeah, they brushed me off sometimes, but in general, I feel like I was taken seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, and then beyond that, just like the financial support, it was really everything. Um, 
to be able to pay for this entire year out of pocket. Um, and so for really like anyone who doesn't have all of those variables, regardless of their situation, it becomes inaccessible, which is why, you know, I decided like I want to dedicate my life to supporting people in these situations because I'm such a minority. Um, and I, I can't help but think of everyone else who can't sit here and say like, I've come out on the other end and I'm so grateful and blah, blah, blah. Well, the people have- who are like us in the minority, but even more marginalized. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And they, they can't come out on the other side where they say like, Oh, that sounds great. I wish I could do that. Like I know that it could exist, but I can't access it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a problem because the people who need the, the support the most aren't getting it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I've been made fully, fully aware more than ever of, of that, that huge issue. Yeah. And, and for people who are looking for information insights, they can always follow you and we'll, we'll obviously link to um, your, your resources uh, on the episode page. I I, talk, talk to us about the advocacy work that you do now and and how this patient experience has, has turned you from like a neophyte, I guess, into a source of information for others. How did that transformation happen, you know, internally and externally? I started the journey by, it was not like a year, it was literally a year and a month ago. So it was that I like posted, started posting the journey on Instagram. And um, I just, it was at the beginning when I wasn't being taken seriously. And I thought there have to be other people out there who are also struggling with chronic symptoms who aren't taken Mm -hmm. seriously and want to get better. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to like broadcast my whole journey of like, going to appointments and being shot down, like, you know, finding what it takes to get into a functional doctor, all the, all the tests and how much more difficult and expensive it is and blah, 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 how to interpret it. And then how difficult it is to heal. And Mm. people might be interested. And it turns out people were really interested and most people have a chronic symptom, which is very sad. And, um, so from that, then, you know, all these other things came to light to me. Like, for example, the fact that a lot of people can't access the support they need. And that mostly came to light as well, because I got tons of messages being like, oh my God, this test was so useful for you. Like, how can I access it without spending like a million dollars? And I was like, I can't find the answer on the internet to that. So, um, then I decided to, um, so basically like my FMLA was approved, meaning I could keep my job, but I wasn't going to get paid through short-term disability. So I was like, maybe I could go back to work, but I was like, I'm not even going to go back to work. I'm going to, um, quit my job and find a way to help people. And so it evolved into me spending time with different functional practitioners, trying to understand like what resources are out there for people who can't afford it. And Um, which ones are legit. (laughs) And which ones are legit. Yeah. Because there are so many people who are like, I'm a health coach. And it's like, I believe that that can be productive, but the amount of people who have absolutely no education who claim to support, you know, and it's like so dangerous to give advice to someone if you're not a medical, like, honestly, like I only see medical doctors, MDs. I'm not saying that no one else can be, um, really credible, I guess, but in my experience, you need someone who's highly educated to be able. And I say this to everyone, like, please do not do as I do. Don't go buy the supplements I'm taking, like go to an MD and like get your blood work. Cause it's dangerous. Yeah. It's dangerous. Even if it's a supplement, like it can be dangerous to be just like taking it from a random person who took a two week course. And they're like, you yeah. know, so, so I, I, um, educate about that, but 
I'm actually going to be pulling together like a course, if you will, on um, how to advocate yourself for yourself as a patient and navigate the system. Um, I don't believe that in the short term I can change the system, but I do believe that I can um, link up with experts in the field of healthcare management and wellness finance planning um, and just kind of like making the most of your time when searching for practitioners and what keywords to look for and finding the loopholes for those practitioners who practice in a functional or integrative way, but also take insurance, which I have found does exist. Um, So there are lots of ways to do that, that people don't really know because not everyone has the time to do that research or they're at the beginning of their health journey. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to be able to save people the time and the money, um, which are your two most valuable resources when you have a chronic symptom. Um, And so I'm working and hopefully would love to get that together before the baby comes. (laughs) Um, So I'm working on that now. (laughs) That's amazing. And and what a wonderful resource for other people. I mean, that's the kind of thing where you go through a really awful experience and you come out the other side going like, gee, I I have to be of service to other people. It it very much chronic illness changes your perspective in that way. Uh, (laughs) Incredibly powerful. So, I mean, you've mentioned that there are ways to work the system. Are there ways in which our health system is working for patients? Like we know that it's falling short in that it's often putting a Band-Aid on things or doctors aren't being given a functional or integrative medicine approach. But what are the ways that it is working for patients? I mean, I think something that's cool about the American healthcare system is that we I, I don't know if this is for every healthcare plan. I know if you have a PPO, you can choose your doctor. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people with the NHS say like, oh, it's all good and well. You talk about interviewing your doctors, but like, we can't do that here. And, and you know very much about the NHS because your husband's British. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. My husband's British for everyone. So that's, yeah. yeah. But it's good because we've interviewed people on the show who are like living with, you know, they're living in the UK and so their health system is the NHS, but obviously ours is the American healthcare system here. And the NHS is a wonderful thing and everyone deserves access to healthcare. So I am merely just <laughs> pointing out the pros and cons of the two different systems. But I think um, there are pros and cons to both. Like we need to find a happy medium between yeah, the two somehow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> healthcare for everyone, um, but like of a certain level and not. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think what's amazing is you can choose your doctor. Mm-hmm. I, I interview doctors. So yeah. I take the approach of hiring them because I am. And That's really good advice. If like, I want everyone to really <laughs> listen to that point that Faith just made. Like, the first time you meet your doctor, it's an interview. You are interviewing them to decide whether you want to work with them. Yeah, a hundred percent. And yeah. so, um, I love that I can go from doctor to doctor and whenever I want an interview. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a massive pro. Um, in America, doctors are, are sort of competing, like mm-hmm. because patients have the choice to hire or fire. And I think that that's amazing because you do find those few doctors who pride themselves on actually helping people heal versus Mm -hmm. how many times they come, you know, and so you have people who, um, I guess like they have their own little marketing approach, if you will. And I think it's, it becomes, it become very individualized and you can really look for certain like Yelp reviews and keywords and it puts the power back in the patient's hands. And I think that's really empowering if you can use that to your advantage and you understand how to. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's a area where we're definitely not falling short. And I mean, also our system is great for emergencies. I like to yeah. think of like our system, like, of course, like we have like state of the art medical care. If anything were to happen in an emergency situation, you're in the best hands. So I'm mostly speaking from the perspective of someone who has had a chronic symptom for, you know, a year. It's not really an emergency, but like, mm-hmm. um, but in general, we have an amazing healthcare system. The chronic symptom epidemic is something that's not well served. 
It's not well served. It's a worldwide epidemic. It's not just America that's falling short. We have more toxins, I would say, than a lot of countries. But in our environment in general? Yeah. I mean, in our food, for example, like that's the same for makeup products. It's the same for cleaning products. It's the same for chocolate. I mean, mm. so you inherently are going to be healthier eating food from there. You don't have to be so scared of eating a piece of bread. Gluten is made differently. Mm. You know, it's so like I can eat gluten in South America. I can eat gluten in Europe. Um, she can't eat gluten in America. My body is telling me that it's more toxic here than it is there. And most things are. So the problem with America is we're so like, you know, we're so money driven that if the big box people say that they want to put this in their food, then it's going to happen because they, well, it's going to increase profit for whatever reason, but it's actually going to harm more people long-term but it increases profit for the pharmaceutical companies. So in the end, everyone wins minus the people. So, I mean, yeah. I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything, but, you know, I mean, it's quite obvious that the reason yeah. why we have these conditions is through the toxins that we're putting in and on our body. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I like to round up my interviews with a couple of top three li- lists. And the first one, I'm wondering if you can give us, and I know you'll be a wealth of information on this, your top three tips for someone who suspects they might have something off. Maybe they're waiting for diagnosis. Maybe they're already diagnosed. Maybe they have Graves' disease, you know, maybe they have Graves' disease and they're pregnant and they don't know what to do. What would you recommend for these people um, to help them manage their, their livelihoods? Yeah. So I would say the first thing would be to find a root. I say root cause, like, you know, you said, I I see a functional doctor, but there's also like integrative or naturopathic, you know, whatever, but to find a doctor who takes a root cause approach, Mm. um, to be your primary doctor through all the different doctors that you end up seeing. Cause a lot of times you see, you have like a specialist for this and whatever, and you have an OBGYN and, but to have that one person that you bring everything back to who knows your whole health history, sees everything as a whole, um, and understands the root cause approach as being like the most important. I think that that's the number one thing people need to do (laughs) in order to heal, um, or even just manage their symptoms and improve their quality of life. Um, the other thing I would say is to start making diet and like lifestyle changes. Mm. So I always like recommend people to do things like really slowly, because if you try to do so many things at one time, you'll never do it. Just the way that and you won't know what's actually causing, you won't the know what's causing. Yeah. So yeah. it's twofold, but I think from like a mental health perspective, like you mm. can't sustain a hundred changes in one day, but you could sustain one change in one month or one change in two weeks. Um, yeah. if you make a conscious decision every morning, to set your intentions to make that change. And it can be something really simple, like start with cutting out inflammatory foods. If you have an autoimmune disease, you really should be doing that. So maybe start with gluten if dairy is too difficult for you, you know? So just start or start with like changing your cleaning products. Mm-hmm. Throw away all of those toxic cleaning products and buy Branch Basics. I don't work for them, but they're my favorite because it's like <laughs> one one product for everything. And oh, no way. Okay, I was going to actually ask what some of your favorites were. So Branch Basics well, we like. It's so nice. So they have this big concentrate bottle and it's like their concentrate soap, if you will, unscented. And then you get like five empty bottles that are refillable. So you never have to buy more. And you just fill like up to this line with water and up to this line with concentrate, shake it. And it works on everything. And I will never use anything else. It is literally the cleanest you can buy. Um, It's sustainable because you'll only ever use that one bottle. Much better for the environment. Much better for the environment. It's cheaper. 
It's so effective. And it's also like, you don't have to worry about like, oh, put the bathroom products in the bathroom and like the kitchen products in the kitchen and this in the laundry room. It is my laundry detergent. It is my bathroom cleaner. It is my all-purpose cleaner. It's it's my everything. So Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm going to look them up. (laughs) Make your life easier. Do yourself a a favor. Throw away your toxic cleaning products that are more expensive and harmful, whatever. Okay. So making lifestyle changes, um, whatever is accessible to you, taking those baby steps and then being really conscious of it and recording it. So if you cut out gluten, record the changes that you see like in your gut, for example, like your bathroom habits or whatever. Um, and then record like your energy levels and like your skin and your acne and kind of just look for like any markers of that improving your quality of life um, and move forward as such because that will make a huge impact. And then my last one would be just sort of taking a look at your mental health. So your health is all this all one. Your mental health is as important as your physical health. And in fact, your mental health manifests itself in physical ways. So look at things that are toxic in your life, things that you can cut out, like toxic relationships or just like you're following an Instagram that makes you feel bad about yourself. Unfollow them. You know, just do like yeah. small things that you can or take like five minutes to meditate, something that you thought you'd never be able to do, but like actually you can spare five minutes, you know, and um, do those things that will make a massive impact mm. on your well-being. And those are all things that are free. So like yes. you can access all of that for free and it doesn't have to be like, go buy this expensive sauna. That's $5,000, you know, like maybe you could do those things in your future, but it's not going to make nearly as big of an impact as cutting out inflammatory foods and taking five minutes to like consciously set your intentions for the day and unfollowing the Instagram accounts that, yeah. you know, make you feel bad or something like that. So, which um, also sort of starts with creating awareness of what's actually making you feel bad yeah. about yourself, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's, which it's is a self-awareness. It is, and it's a learning process. Like as you practice exercising these small habits, you become mm-hmm. more self-aware in every sense of the word and more in tune with your body. And you're able, most of all, to listen to your body, which then will ultimately be your guide to healing. Yeah. So it is really just the practice itself that is the most important. But those are like kind of the ways to build up that skill set, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really sensible advice. So my last top three list is quite the opposite. <laughs> it's top three things that give you unbridled joy that you're unwilling to compromise on in your life. So this could be guilty pleasures. It could be secret indulgences. It could be comfort activities when you're having a flare up. What are the top three things in your life that you turn to for joy and for comfort? So kind of random, but my first one would be like my morning routine as in like my breakfast and whether it's like a matcha or tea or I drink like a mushroom coffee. Um, like the four sigmatic stuff. Yeah. yeah. I can't handle like real coffee cause I'm such mm. a fan, but I can do like a English breakfast tea or whatever. Yeah. I don't have like my breakfast and a little bit of caffeine and like my water and all that. Um, before and like some movement, like my entire day is ruined. Like if even on vacation, <laughs> like I'm yeah. like, I have to go do this thing. I can't just like get up and walk out the door, even if it's like my birthday and I'm in Hawaii on at the four seasons. Like I still have to go down and take a moment. And to me, that makes or breaks my day and has yeah. since I was like in high school. Um, and even if I'm feeling like so so sick and I'm like veteran, I will like make the effort to. I've like never missed a day of breakfast in my mm. coffee, you know. And so to me, that's huge. Um, Also time outside to me, like being outside is one of my biggest healers. 
Um, yeah. So whether I'm feeling great or I'm feeling bad, <laughs> um, I try to find even like one minute if it's like pouring rain to like sit on my patio if that's all I can do. But if at the best of times it would be being active, at the worst of times it would be sitting. Um, and every single scenario, like no matter what, being outside helps me mm-hmm. mentally and physically. Yeah, that's um, lovely. And then honestly, if I would say guilty pleasure, okay, here's my thing. I'm not a drinker per se, but I love wine, but I can't remember the last time I had a glass of wine and it was the day I found out I was pregnant before I found out I was pregnant. (laughs) The last time I had a glass of wine and my favorite thing in the world is having a glass of wine when I'm done with my day and I'm cooking Mm -hmm. and I have one glass of wine and even on the weekend, the most I'll have is two. So obviously not having wine while I've been pregnant has been so hard for me, (laughs) but it's my favorite thing in the world. Like I am obsessed with wine. So that would be like- It's a moment of peace for you the way a cup of tea is a moment of peace for someone else. Like that's your little piece in a glass. And like I, because I'm such a like lightweight, I basically feel a buzz off a glass of wine for, I mean, I guess that's something I will compromise on because I'm obviously not drinking it, but like I would not do it for anything else besides the child. (laughs) Yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to share with us? Please, of course, tell the listeners where they can find you and your work. Um, so I share a lot on Instagram at that healing feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my website is that healing dash feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- if you follow me on Instagram, um, you'll really see like my day to day, but also I will be sharing updates on, um, when I'm going to be launching my course, but I also have free guides and stuff on my website, um, that, kind of speak to what I was speaking to today, like how to make the most of your doctor's appointments and questions to ask and checklist to brings and stuff like that, that um, I hope are useful for people. So anywhere yeah, there. That's awesome. Faith, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure finally getting to speak to you and oh, you. you've got such a wealth of knowledge to share with everyone and, and how wonderful that you've come out the other side of your experiences and been able to immediately give back uh, to the Spoonie community. It's just really great to connect with people who are on a mission of giving like that. So thank you so much for all the resources that you're providing and for sharing so openly about your experiences. And we're so excited to meet baby Ashenden in a few months. (laughs) I know I'm ready. Bring it on. July. (laughs) July. Okay. July. Well, Faith, it's been such a pleasure and uh, we look forward to continuing to follow your journey and we'll definitely post links and keep us posted about when the course becomes live. Okay. Thank you so much. Of course. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.